Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 15. We pick up today in our new series called Slanted, one of the most famous parables that Jesus told. It is the parable of the prodigal son, or as I will argue through the course of this message, the parable of the prodigal sons. I suppose that the first prodigal that I ever knew, and I I know that I probably knew others, just didn't realize it didn't register on me, but probably the first time I knew that there was such a thing as a prodigal and I knew one of them was in my cousin Terry. Now, Terry was the son of my Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe was a Marine, and uh, Terry came to live with us in Houston in the early 60s. I was a young child, and Terry came to live in our house. Uncle Joe was going to Vietnam to serve a tour of duty over there, and so he needed something to be done with his teenage son. I didn't know that that was because Terry was a prodigal, but it didn't take me long even as a child to figure out that that's what he was. I didn't know the term, but I could certainly tell something was different, and most of the way I knew something was different about Terry was the way my parents dealt with Terry. Terry was in middle school in those days, and I vividly remember having to go up to the school with my mother because Terry had somehow decided he didn't need to go to school, and they were in the process of dealing with him accordingly, and mom had nothing else to do with me, so I got a good, strong lesson in don't be on mom's bad side. But over a period of time... Terry decided he'd had enough of that, and so Terry ran away. Over the years, we would hear every once in a while something about him, and we discovered that Terry had developed a heroin addiction. And that began to wreck his health and otherwise, and eventually we just never heard from Terry again. We assumed that Terry probably died somewhere, probably tied to his heroin addiction. Terry was the first prodigal that I ever really knew. Through the years, I figured out that I really knew a lot more of prodigals in those days than I thought I did. And in fact, the reality is that even in this room today, there are probably more prodigals that challenge you just a little bit and challenge your level of thinking based on what our typical default definition is of a prodigal. But let's, let's dive into this passage today because I think what we find here is that sometimes if we understand what Jesus is teaching in this parable, Luke chapter 15, then we will recognize by the time we get through this whole discussion today that a prodigal doesn't necessarily have to leave home in order to be a prodigal. As a matter of fact, I've discovered through the years as a pastor that sometimes prodigals hide in plain daylight, in plain sight, and they're everywhere. Or should I say, we're everywhere. Luke chapter 15, we begin reading in verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property, that is the father, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing And he called one of the servants and asked what these meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Today I want to give you two big picture kind of statements, questions really. The first one, well, let's not make them questions. Let's just make them statements. Let me, let me dig into this a little bit and let's talk about how you cannot be a prodigal. Now, I, I mentioned earlier that there are really two prodigal sons in this story. The first prodigal son is the one who took all of his stuff, and I'll talk about him in some depth here in just a moment. But the second prodigal son, the older one, is the one who was just as far from his father's heart when he stayed at home as he was his brother who left home. But let's look first at how not to be a prodigal by looking at this first son. Verse 12 says, And the younger of them said to his father, Let me put this, I'm going to rephrase the comments here that he makes. Essentially, what he does by asking his father for his share of the inheritance is, the younger son essentially says this, Dad, you are dead to me. I want what's coming to me. Now, I have to tell you that that is a premature request in Jewish society. Not only is that premature request in Jewish society, that's a premature request in the road trammel family, if my son came to me and said, Dad, I want what's coming to me, I would pop him. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's not politically correct, is it? I would put him in a corner and time out. <laughs> How would you deal with your child if they came to you and said in the 
language of the day, dad or mom, you are dead to me, so give me my stuff. That is a huge statement in first century Jewish life. It's bad enough that he asked for that. It's even worse that it's the younger son who's asking for that. Because in Jewish society in the first century life, it was that older son who had the lion's share of the inheritance that would come at the passing of the patriarch, of the father. The older son got half. The younger son or sons would divvy up the other half that was coming to them. And so the younger son essentially was not really a nobody in the family, but pretty close to that when it comes to a comparative analysis between the older son and any others that they had. So Jesus is going slant, and I would encourage you to go back from last week. Going slant in this particular case, the way Jesus told parables, is to come at the the story that he tells in such a way to communicate kingdom truth, but to do so in a way that would catch his listeners off guard. This is an off-guard kind of a story because no right-thinking kind of person in the first century life and the society in which Jesus was telling this story, no second son would come in and ask for what this one is asking for. And if he did, he probably would not live through the request. So he goes slant, Jesus does. And in the process of doing that, he begins to uncover for us something about what a prodigal does. Or better said, something about who a prodigal is. Look with me at verse 13 for another little insight here. And it says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. Remember, all that he had was only because his father had given it to him. He gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So one of the hallmarks of a prodigal This is the hallmark, by the way, that throws a wide net that catches most of us. Actually, I'm going to argue that it's a wide net that catches all of us in the long run. One of the hallmarks of a prodigal is that they are intensely selfish. The younger son wants his stuff. It's really not even his stuff. He's just getting his stuff on credit, essentially. And so his father, for some reason, gives it to him. We'll come back to that in a few moments. But the father hands off to him what he might have had coming to him. And in the process of that, that kid takes that, probably a teenager, most scholars think at this point, and takes that stuff and he goes off somewhere else and he blows it, he squanders it. You ever known anybody like that? Have you known anybody that was so selfish that in the process of gaining some kind of resource, they begin to just squander it on themselves? Maybe you're like that. I hope not, but the chances are good that if you're breathing today, then you have at least that little line of part of who you are. That focus that says, I'm important, I will do what I want. The reality as we find in this passage, this parable that Jesus tells, spreads out across our world. And that is that selfishness has a way of burning through resources. Now those resources may well be financial. That's what we find in this particular case. But those resources also 
find their way into the family unit. If you put yourself into this parable as one of the family members of this prodigal son, think about, maybe, maybe a better way to say it right now is to just for at least a moment put yourself in the shoes of that other brother. Because he models something for us, and that is that when a prodigal in the family starts burning through family resources, eventually they get to the resources of patience of the parents and the other family members, and they get to the resource of love even and forgiveness. The reality is, and many of us in this room today understand this from family members like my cousin Terry, that some people have just burned through their last resource with you. And so you write them off. That's the other brother in this case, and we'll talk about that and him shortly. But here's what I want us to get. This is the part of the net that catches all of us. At the end of the day, selfishness is part of your DNA and mine. Reality, the essence of sin, in my opinion, as I understand Scripture, the essence of sin is selfishness. I will be God. I will call the shots. I will be in charge. I will make the decisions about my life, and if you're weak enough, I'll make the decisions about your life because I'm God. That's inherently selfish. It's the sin nature that separates us from God because God can't be God and I be God at the same time. And so that is a rebellion where I say, I'll just take over. The problem with that is it never works. It's not a, I mean, it's a truth, but it's one of those truths that separate us, not draw us forward in life. Selfishness, control, prodigal. So if that's you today, If you're this prodigal son and your life is marked by selfishness and your life is marked by division with family members and friends and co-workers because you must be in charge, you must have your say, if that's you today, I would just say to you, be careful because you may end up living with pigs before it's all over with. And so this prodigal son, at some point figures out that his choices are not really paying off for him. Whereas I like to say in counseling sessions, when I am particularly merciful, how's that working out for you, that choice to be God? Let me just add one other element of his selfishness to this mix. At the end of the day, he does come home, and we all want to quickly run to that. But I would submit to you that his choice to go home is based out of selfishness. I don't like where I am. I'm hungry. I don't even like pigs. I'm I'm so hungry that these pigs that I don't like, I might just eat what they're eating. By the way, that's one of those little elements that Jesus added into this, that that reality of first century Jewish life, that would have been just totally unthinkable for a Jew. To go off into a foreign country that was, well, just, I mean, he works for a pig farmer after all. And pigs were the most unclean of the unclean. And to work with pigs was one thing, but to have to think about eating what they ate 
just gives us the depth of this guy's situation. And so his selfish approach to living says, I don't like this. I would suggest to you that the reason he went to his dad in the first place is because that same thought, that one that said, I don't like this anymore. I'm not going to listen to my dad. I don't care what my parents have to say. I'm getting my stuff and I'm leaving. And so feeding the pigs, he says, I'm going to get my stuff. Oh, wait, I don't have stuff anymore. So I'll just get me and I'll go back to the cash cow known as my dad. I'll say it again. Selfishness, being prodigal, has a way of burning through resources. It's one thing to run out of money. It's another thing to run out of family because your family says, I'm just not going to put up with this anymore. And worst of all is when you run out of hope and you've burned through your resources And the only option you have left is to be somebody's slave. That's son number one. Son number two, on the other hand, doesn't usually get elevated into the situation or the title, the label of being prodigal. Even most of our translations, mine for instance, uh, the, the people who put this particular translation together and this particular version of that, uh, there's subheadings in these different sections of my Bible. And my subheading at this point says the parable of the prodigal son. I think we let the other son off the hook when we do that. We may not be the one who squandered everything that we had and went off and celebrated with wild living and all of those kind of things. I was that prodigal at one point in my life in one way or another. But the second son is the one that catches a lot of the other. This is what I call the responsible prodigal. He stayed home. I I find it interesting. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I find it interesting that the father in this particular case, when when the first son says, I want my inheritance, notice in those early verses here that the father gave the the inheritance to both of those sons. The second son didn't ask for it. Indications are the way this works and the way Jesus tells the story that the father, because the other son said, "I, I did everything you asked me to do. You didn't give me one of your flock. By the way, the younger son got a fattened calf when he came back. The older son just got a goat. Well, he didn't even get a goat. That's his point. Let's not forget that while it might make sense to be upset when a sibling comes back after causing turmoil, it's not okay for us to endorse that. Verses 28 through 30, we find these words. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't, here's how badly the other son had burned through his resources. His brother said, he's not even mine anymore. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. This guy's a prodigal too. But he's the prodigal who didn't leave the ranch. He just hung around and did the normal things that normal sons do 
until such time that he felt like he had been slighted. In other words, he's selfish too. He's responsibly selfish, but it still burns through resources. Prodigals are self-focused to a fault. I would suggest and remind you that each of us have that problem. That's the sin nature in us. That's why prodigals are everywhere in our lives. And so we come back to understand that prodigals burn through resources and ultimately at the end of the day, prodigals need some help. And it's at this point that we shift our focus in this parable. We shift our focus not on the prodigal now, but on the father of the prodigal. Because I started off by saying I'm going to make two big statements today. The first one is how not to be a prodigal. And the answer to that is be a father. And I don't mean the office of father. I mean the characteristics of the father we're about to look at here. If you don't want to be a prodigal marked by selfishness and using people and abusing people, be like the father. The father also teaches us how to deal with prodigals because prodigals are everywhere. That means that they're in your circles too. And I would even say that as we as a church and individuals inside this church seek to connect this community with the love and the life of Jesus Christ, we better get really comfortable in dealing with prodigals because they're everywhere. Excuse me, we're everywhere. So how do you deal with a prodigal? Look at what the father did and what he teaches us. Here's the first one, and I, I, I don't want to be a jerk or anything like that, but I'm, I'm just going to say this the way it is. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, okay? But the reality is if you don't want to be a prodigal, or if you, don't, if you need to deal with a prodigal, then don't be a prodigal. If you want to know how to deal with prodigals, don't be a prodigal because selfish, trying to deal with selfish, causes wars in families and otherwise. And so in this case, look at the father again. The son says, give me mine. I already told you how my prodigal self would answer my son if he said that. I don't know how your prodigal self would answer yours if they said that to you. But in this case, we pause for just a moment to consider just how unprodigal-like this father is. He gives him what he asked for. But he doesn't just give him what he asked for. This father shows a lack of selfishness in another way in that he camps out there on the edge of the farm. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself with that, so let me back up to say this. Let's just put it this way. I've not ever been in quicksand. I don't know the science of quicksand and all of that, but let's just say that you and somebody else are walking down a path together and both of you fall into quicksand. We don't have that out here. We have a lot of sand. It's quick when the wind's blowing, but this is not the same kind of quicksand I'm talking about. You know the old Tarzan stuff and, you know, the old jungle movies where people fall into quicksand? I, I, let's just say you're walking out with somebody and both of you fall into quicksand. If I understand the science of quicksand, the more you move, the deeper you go. And so if both of you are trying to fight your way out, then both of you get sucked down into that. That's kind of how selfishness works. That's the nature of prodigal living. What you really need is somebody to come along and stay rooted on good, solid ground and pull you out of that quicksand. That's the father here. 
Maybe I could pull it off a quicksand because that's not likely to happen with any of us. But the reality, one of the things that, that I understand about 12-step programs is one of the strong points of a 12-step program is there is the sponsor who understands addiction enough, often because they've been the one to speak. And then when you feel like you're about to go under and give in to the addiction, your sponsor reaches out to you and says, let me help you out of that mess. That's the father here. It's an interesting study if we wanted to really dig on it, but Jesus tells it as a story. Jesus is trying to make a what I would call a left-handed truth, and I'll explain that tonight a little bit. But the reality as we come to this is this father is the one who is helping his sons out with this, and one of the first things we must recognize is that he doesn't have the characteristic of a prodigal. He's not acting selfishly here. He's acting out of love, which fits what we know. Jesus said, if you would come after me, you must deny yourself. That's you got to choose not to be a prodigal. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Paul talks about selfless living in 1 Corinthians 13. We preached through that in a series not too long ago. And so we recognize that this is the way of the Lord, this selfless kind of living. So to help with a prodigal, don't be a prodigal. And here's the good news for you. You'll never win that battle in this life. Now, you can have victories along the way, but this is a God-sized battle in your life to deny yourself. We're all prodigals, really. Here's the second thing, and this is the big slant in Jesus' parable, I think. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. We didn't read these before. But you see, Jesus tells this parable for a reason. In verses 1 and 2, we find that reason, and it helps us to pick out why these prodigal sons, and it helps us to understand the nature of the father here. Chapter 15, verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, that is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Would you say that sounds like the second son in this parable? There's three main characters in this parable, three main points that we pull off of it. But the father is the one who models the love of God. The Pharisees and the religious leaders didn't quite get that. They didn't think that everybody ought to have a place in the kingdom. The sinners... The ones that they rejected are a little bit more like the first son. But God the Father is the one that Jesus holds up as the example for us here. Be like the Father. And so we find that what the Father teaches us, I'll close with this. What the Father teaches us is that when it comes to building bridges, will be more effective if we don't blow them up first. Because our calling is to be like Jesus Christ. And then that calling that comes with that is that we might love like Jesus did. And that leaves us dealing with prodigals. Will we deal with them like the religious leaders did? Or will we deal with them like the Father did? I wonder today as we close, 
Which one of these are you today? Are you more like the younger son who's living for self and burning through resources? Maybe you're a little bit more like the second son. You're the responsible one in your life, but there's still that prodigal, selfless, uh, excuse me, selfish kind of part of you that doesn't really appreciate the love that God is showing to other people. All of us should strive, to, should reach, to be like the Father in this parable, to extend love to those people around us because all of us are prodigals in one way or another. So where are you today? Let me ask you to bow your heads, if you will. Close your eyes and we go to a time of invitation. I want to issue this invitation. If you're here today and your life is marked by selfish, selfish and driving kind of way of life that just alienates you from others, if you're living for yourself, are you tired of it yet? The reality of that life, I can tell you from personal experience, is that sooner or later, the shine of it wears off and the fun of it wears off. And sooner or later, you find that you've dug yourself a hole that you can't get out of. Do you know Jesus Christ and the love of the Father? Are you ready to come to him on his terms and say, I need that life. I want that love. Save me out of my mess. If that's you today, This invitation time is an opportunity for you to act on that. We'll help you with that. We'll walk you through what that means to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ that is marked by love and forgiveness and life. So this invitation time is for you. It may well be that you're one of those today who's on the inside. You're the responsible prodigal. And your life is still being lived for yourself. It's just being done in responsible ways. And you know that that's not honoring God. So today could be a great day of making a turn in that and repenting of that. And stepping back into the position of love that the Father gives us. The Father says to you today, I have a plan for your life. Why don't you let me help you with it? So, Father, we ask now during this invitation that you would speak, that you would move, that you would transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. You come.